All right, what's up, everybody? How we doing tonight? Come on, let's try that again. How we doing tonight? Make some noise. All right, man, that's more like it. I'm so excited to be here. I've never been to Baylor campus, and, uh, and so I'm just stoked. I'm going to be doing chapel tomorrow, and I understand there's a lot of people that sleep through chapel, and uh, so that's going to be exciting. Hopefully you're not sleeping tonight, but, uh, but I'm just excited to be here. Actually, uh, I've been wanting to come here for a long time because i got some good friends uh, in the Waco area. We've been friends for a long time, and, uh, and so I've just been looking forward to this. In fact, these friends of mine, you, you guys probably heard of them, they became kind of famous the last couple of years, and, uh, and so Chip and Joanne, they actually wanted to come by and say hi tonight, so would you guys just welcome up, up on stage? You guys, just, you want to welcome up on stage? Come on, Chip and Joanne, come on up here. Come on, make some, I don't, come, no, I don't know Chip and Joanne. I'm sorry. Man, I, I saw a girl, I, I saw some freshmen tearing up, like this was like their Instagram highlight. But listen, I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, I was trying to decide if I should do that. I'm like, I have to. I feel like I know him because my wife makes me watch Fixer Upper all the time. But uh, listen, I got another friend with me tonight. It's the Holy Spirit. You need to meet with him, okay? Yeah, you need a Fixer Upper on your soul. Uh, no, I'm just, can we bow our heads and pray? Would you guys just pray with me? Man, it's just great to be together and uh, so honored to be at Vertical. But just bow your heads. And I just invite you, even in this moment, I don't know what's going on. I know uh, I just got back to class yesterday. Uh, I'm sure your mind is racing, uh, figuring out schedule and uh, just being back here. Um, I think it's just important just to be still before the Lord sometimes. And uh, so I'm just going to give us just a moment. uh, And I just don't want anybody to say anything, but I just want to invite you to fill this space with your prayer to a holy God who sees you and knows you. And I want to challenge you specifically uh, just to devote this next hour to him and, uh, and even this semester. So this is just a chance for you to do that right now. God, we just thank you that you're here. Uh, Lord, you say in your word that you inhabit the praises of your people. Um, God says in your word that your spirit is with us. God, as believers, when we confess your name and when we live out your teaching, that you are there in our midst. And so, God, we just welcome you tonight. God, we thank you that you're here on this campus. Thank you that you're here in this uh, arena, this stadium. Lord, thank you that uh, this stadium isn't big enough to fit you, God, that uh, your glory uh, fills the earth fills the heavens, God, as far as the heavens are from the earth, God, so far, Lord, have you removed our transgressions from us, God, those that have confessed our sin to you, God, that's how real, uh, and and the distance that you've made between us and our sin and shame and our past, Um, and yet, Lord, we know there's people probably here tonight that maybe are in a rocky place with you or having a hard time, and and so, God, we pray wherever we are tonight, God, whether we're on a mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, uh, God, that we would just meet with you. Lord, of all the voices we need to hear tonight, God, uh, Lord, we just say, Lord, we don't need to hear our friend, our boyfriend, our girlfriend. God, we don't need to hear from some celebrity. God, we need to hear from you, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. And so, God, we just pray that you'd speak to us tonight, that you change us and help us to change this campus. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, 
Amen, amen. Well, hey, I'm so honored and excited uh, to be here. I love uh, Texas. Um, I love getting to come here. And uh, I'm from North Dakota. And uh, North Dakota is, uh, is a small city. Anybody ever been to North Dakota first off? Can we show, show hands? All right, all right, man. Power to the people. Uh, is there anybody from North Dakota here? Anybody? No, there's none of God's chosen. That's all right. That's okay. It's a frozen chosen up there. Uh, but listen, there's 600,000 people in the entire state of North Dakota, just to give you some perspective. So if you thought like your state or place is small. Um, and also like I was up in North Dakota. I grew up there. Uh, my family's from North Dakota. Um, we're right near the Canadian border. And I know that a lot of you guys spring break in North Dakota. That's how I know there's a lot of familiarity with it. Um, these are jokes. You can laugh. It's okay. Um, no, but really, like, North Dakota is like a, it's a cold place, right? Like, I was messing with some buddies of mine this weekend in Texas who were saying that you guys had, like, a snowstorm, and I was watching on, like, their Instagram stories, and I was just, like, like giggling to myself, you know, like, that's just, I see, like, little, like, fluffs. <laughs> it's cute, you know, really. Uh, but, like, up in North Dakota and Minnesota, I'm in Minneapolis now, but it's, like, 20 below zero, if you can even wrap your minds around that. Like, your boogers will freeze in your nose. That's how cold... It is. And, uh, you know, other states, they cancel, like, classes and stuff when snow comes or a city shuts down. Like, in North Dakota, like, they'll say, like, hell freezes over at, like, 20 below, and, like, North Dakota closes school at 35 below. And so, like, it's, like, it's got to be crazy cold. Like, it's so cold sometimes that you'll die. Like, if you're outside more than, like, four minutes, like, you will die. And, uh, and that's not even kidding. And you're like, why would anybody live there? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think it has to do with our ancestors not being the brightest. Um, sometimes I ask myself in the dead of winter, like, what were they thinking? You know, they came on the boat, and they traveled across the nation, and then did the wagon wheel fall off? What happened? You know, like, one winter in, like, what were you, like, either, you have to have two sides of it. Either you say, like, my ancestors are tough. That's right. Like, they're killing bears with their bare hands, right? Or you're like, my ancestors are stupid. They don't know. what they, They've never been to Texas, you know, or anywhere below North Dakota, you know. But, uh, but anyway, needless to say, that's where I'm from. And, uh, and so up in North Dakota, uh, we were praying uh, for revival. We were on our campus. And in North Dakota, we lead the nation underage binge drinking. And so uh, North Dakota knows how to party, you know. And, uh, and so it'd kind of be like, uh, you'd go off to college, and it was like, just game on. And so those of us that were trying to follow Jesus as college kids, it was like really hard to kind of straddle the fence. You know, it's like, I want to be a Christian, but nobody cool is a Christian. You know, we didn't have anything like Vertical, where there was like 400 people meeting. You know, it'd be like 40 of us, and like, we looked around, and like, none of us are cool. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but let's try, you know, let's pray. And, uh, and so anyway, we just started asking God to move and we started uh, getting in God's word and we started just say, God, we want these words in this book to change us. And we actually discovered something that the more we read this book, the more our lives were changed. And we found that it's actually impossible to read this book and not be changed. It's impossible to read this book and not be changed. I think that's why one of the hardest things for us in the world that we live in, full of spiritual warfare, that one of the hardest things for us is to open this book. Because there are a lot of forces that know that if you start opening this book, things will change in your life, and things will change in your world. And there are many forces that don't want that to happen. But we found that the more we read this book and the more we prayed, the more God was just blowing our minds and increasing our dreams, increasing our vision. And so tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of having a reset of faith and uh, what that looks like, that God starts to rearrange who we think he is 
and literally brings us to this fresh start of saying, God, we want to dream your dreams and we want to pray your prayers. And I'll tell more about this later, but basically we started as students praying. See, students on our campus were like literally killing themselves. I mean, we had numerous kids uh, like drink so much that they just died. We had students kill themselves in their fraternities and sororities. So one student got so drunk, he fell in the river and drowned. And, uh, and there was this massive like party on campus where kids are like, peeing all over the parking lot, and like, it was just crazy, and everybody's like, that party was a bomb, you know, but like, it was just, it was just not good, and, uh, and we're Christians, right, saying, we're reading this book about this God who cares, and we're reading this book about this God who can do anything, change anything, save anyone, and yet we're living like God can do nothing, is doing nothing, will do nothing, and we're kind of walking out this like pansy Christian life, and I don't know if you, I don't know about you, but for me, I felt like there was a big distance between the stories I heard in this book and the life I was living. I felt like I was claiming to follow the Jesus in that book, but the life I was living didn't look anything like it. And, uh, and so we just started to say, like, God, of all the people that need to change on this campus, you need to change us first. And, uh, and so that was our prayer. And God started to do some crazy things, some crazy things through that group of students all the way up in North Dakota, which is practically Canada, which we just got electricity last year, you know. I mean, it's like the ends of the earth and then North Dakota. But like, I mean, for us, it's a little bit of like, God can use anyone from anywhere to do anything. And it mentioned it a little bit in that last video of how God led us to plan an event on the National Mall. We started to dream like, man, we want to see the largest Jesus gathering that the next generation has ever held in American history. And we're going to pray and we're going to believe God for it. Just as kids, North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, we're like, we're going to do it. You know, it's like we're praying for a million people. That's like two times as many people as live in our state. If everybody brings one friend, we're doing it, you know. But like, we're just praying. And God like blew our doors off. We had ministries and denominations across the country come together. And this was our charge from the National Mall. I'm going to show you this video, and then we're going to get into God's word. So check this out. To symbolize that we are going to go out of this place to proclaim a gospel that could bring peace to our world, that could change all the social injustice, and a gospel that can transform the lives of millions of people on every continent. And we're challenging you tonight to do it. Today is a new beginning, a reset. It's our moment to define our generation. Not by tweets, snaps, or posts. Not with political agendas or policies, but with our lives. Because we are the Reset Generation. We are one family who together with Jesus can change the world. We will follow Him wherever He leads. We will risk everything for His message so that everyone would come to know Him. We're not in this to make ourselves famous. We want to make Jesus famous. It's about Him, His heart. His passion. And yes, there will be cost. It will be difficult. It will require great risk. But it will be beautiful. Because we've experienced the power Jesus has to change everything. It starts with daily looking to Jesus. Listening to His heart. Following His word. Can you hear it? He's calling us. This is our commission. Let's fill our stadiums. Let's fill our cities. Fill our churches. Our schools. Neighborhoods. Jesus and the reset he offers. Now is not the time to shrink back. The message of Jesus belongs everywhere, from the smallest corners to the big 
times let our lives be a light for all the world to see. We have stood together. We have filled them all. Now, let's fill them all. So I just want you to do this with me quick. I want you to say, just say this after me. Say reset. Again, say reset. Now, uh, here's the deal. Reset is this word that, uh, that kind of became uh, a mission and a message within uh, the movement as we were students. Essentially, what happened is so many students were coming to faith uh, that we had to come up with kind of new, uh, honestly, like ways to describe for all these kids that had no church background. We're trying to describe what is it to follow Jesus. We're trying, so we're trying to come up with like a metaphor or illustration. And there's this student that says, Nick, you know what's happening is God is resetting our campus. And uh, he's offering a reset with the gospel. We said, well, what do you mean? He said, man, well, I play video games all the time. We said, we know. We, we, we know. You need to bathe. We know about the video games. Uh, but he said, listen, when I hit reset, reset gets the system working again. How many of you guys have hit reset on anything in your life? Anybody ever hit a reset button? I mean, if you start looking, the word reset's everywhere. Now, reset, literally what it means, by definition, it means to clear past errors and to get the system working toward its intended or created purpose. So in other words, your phone or your computer were made to work a certain way, and you and I are dumb. <laughs> you know? And so like, we mess up the system. Do you guys anybody remember when your phone battery lasted longer than 15 minutes? Anybody remember that? And then now you have that like, red battery of death. You know, and you're just like, anybody get that panic come over you and your battery's about to die? You don't know what to do? Nobody? Just me? Okay, that's fine. Um, But listen, you know, there's something about that new phone. Like, we do the wrong things with it, and we mess the system up. And so they build in this step for a reset so that the errors can be cleared to get it working again. Now, the gospel offers us the ultimate reset. It's the ultimate second chance. It's the ultimate new beginning. And that's the message that we have in Jesus is that he's making all things new and that you and I literally are offered every day a reset in any area of our life that we need it. And so as students, we started praying this way and thinking about the gospel this way and thinking about how God is offering us change in life. People started bringing reset prayers at our events. And they literally start coming and they bring like objects physically because there'd be like symbols for them of what they needed to be reset. A girl brought me a razor blade. A guy in a gang bought me some bullets and a knife. Uh, we had people bring like all kinds, I mean, just craziest paraphernalia and different things. And we started to set out these reset bins at our event just to fit all the contraband of people coming and bringing just this junk that was defining them, saying, I need to be reset of this, my faith, my purity, my self-image, you know, my relationships, uh, my past, whatever it was. And we just saw God literally uh, turning us back to him. And so uh, tonight, what I wanted to talk about is this specific of what's kind of been the most common prayer among believers is this prayer of reset my faith, reset my faith. Uh, and, and just this idea of, uh, you know, that, that God wants us to come to him like a little child, that God wants us to come to him with boldness, with awe, and to go after him. And so my call for you tonight, we're going to open up the Bible. I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 tonight. But tonight I want to tell you, man, God wants you to go after this campus. God wants you to go after this campus. If I could say it another way, I'm going to say, dream big because God is bigger. Dream big because God is bigger. Mark Batterson just wrote a new book, and he says, man, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. 
And I think there's some truth to that. I think a lot of Christians, we try to manage our faith. We call it faith, but the truth is, in our daily lives, there's not much we actually need God for. We kind of just do the things that are safe. And yet God, he wants to shake up the norm. You know, we were talking tonight with Dale, and he was talking about this idea of making war with familiarity. The idea that something's familiar in my faith, and I want to wage war against that comfort, that autopilot, that monotony, because I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to go the easy road. Now today, this morning, I got a haircut. You can see I got a little fresh fade going on here. I went into Dallas, and I'm like, man, I want to find me a real barber in Dallas. And so I got to tell you, I was the only white boy up in that barber shop. And uh, I don't know that they were, they didn't know what to do a little bit when I came in, but they gave me this great haircut, had a great conversation. And my barber said this to me this morning, he said, Richard, and he said, comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort is the enemy of progress. And I think, I was like, he's like, you know, he's like so many young people. He's He's like preaching at me. He's like so many young people. They don't go after what they could go after because they get comfortable. They don't go after what they could go after because they're comfortable. And I think the same thing is true in our faith. We settle for a simple, basic, easy version of Christianity, which in fact might not be Christianity at all. Matthew 6, it says this, and we're going to do something a little different. We're going to start at the end, and we're going to work our way back to the beginning. Because at the end, in verse 25, Jesus says this word, therefore. Say, therefore. Now, when you read God's word, we come to it knowing that it's living and active, knowing that God speaks, but also knowing that it's a continuous message, right? And so you can't just take a verse and say, here it is, and just look at it on that surface. You need to look at it in the context. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus concludes what is kind of a sermon he's giving to his followers with this word, therefore. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Say, do not worry. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Say eat. We love to eat. Says don't worry about what to drink. Say drink. College kids like to drink. Says don't worry about your body. Say body. Come on, say my body. (laughs) I'm talking about my body. Never mind. Don't worry about what to wear. Say wear. Says don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about your wear. Say come on, Jesus. What am I supposed to do if I didn't? Can you imagine life if you didn't worry about those four things? Seriously. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what to eat. Don't worry to drink. Don't worry what to wear. You know? That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? I mean, I don't even know what that would look like sometimes. He says, verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Have you heard the saying, free as a bird? Right? I love birds. I love, I love just looking at birds. I'm not going to lie. Like, I... I just love it. I love watching them and just the carefree, you know, just they're like playing. And ever since I was a kid, I've just loved them. He says, but look at the birds. He says, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Underline that if you got your Bible with you. Underline that. Are you not much more valuable than they? When you're having a down moment, say, I'm more valuable than a bird. That's right. And God takes care of those birds. You know he's going to take care of you. Verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? How many of you guys have found your life better because of your worry? You know? Don't you think about it like worry is kind of the antithesis of faith. Right? Like if you walk by faith, like worry is kind of on the other side of that spectrum. Because faith is, is believing that God can do anything. 
right? Faith is saying, God, I believe that you are going to do this even though I can't see it, right? It says in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about faith. It says, right, that, that it's something about seeing this, believing it, welcoming it. It says that that's what the ancients were commended for. In fact, I encourage you, if you want to go deeper into this, look at Hebrews 11. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's like the ESPN plays of the week chapter of the Bible. It's incredible. It's incredible. But listen, Jesus says this. He says, you don't add light to your life by worrying. He says, and why would you worry about your clothes? I mean, come on, somebody. Does anybody worry about their clothes a little bit? Anybody? I mean, right? It's like, I want to look kind of cool. You know, it's like, I came in here, I want to fit in. So I bought this (laughs) t-shirt. You know, they're $10 in the back. They told me then it's not like the legit one. The real leaders have a darker gray. I got the lighter gray. So if you're a lighter gray person, you can give me a high five later. You darker gray people, forget it. I'm just serious. But he says, listen. He says, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your clothes. He says, see how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell them, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, dressed like one of these. He said, this is how God clothes the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Maybe say, man, look at the birds and then look at the grass. He said, man, God loves me more than birds and God loves me more than grass. You know? I mean, it's just like there's something about this. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says this, verse 32, this one will hit you hard. For the pagans run after these things. Man, are we trying to be like everybody else? He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. But he says this, this is it. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Righteousness is to be set apart. It's to be holy as he is holy. It's seeking first to have my heart be his heart. God, I don't care about what I have on for clothing. God, I care that I'm clothed in the spirit. God, I don't care about the food that I eat. God, I want to make sure I'm eating daily bread that you can give. God, I don't care about what I drink. I want to make sure I'm getting the living water. I want to make sure I'm a tree planted by the water, bearing fruit in its season. God, I don't want to worry about my life because you are the life. Right? I mean, it's a total 180. It is a reset of what the world says. The world says worry about your clothes. The world says, man, ladies, you better dress a certain way or the fellas aren't going to notice. And fellas, you better kind of get your metro on because that's kind of, you know, or maybe not. Maybe it's kind of your hipster thing. I don't know what it is right now. But you got to do something, always keeping up with somebody, always looking to somebody else. And God's like, no, don't follow them, follow me. Don't worry about your followers, worry about following me. Worry about are they following him? I don't care how many people are following you on Snap or Instagram or whatever. Man, what matters is are you following Jesus? And your heart needs to burn for are they following Jesus? Who cares what they think about you? What do they think about him? Because they're going to have to stand before a holy God just as you are. So seek first the kingdom and not all this other junk. He says, therefore, again, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm from North Dakota. We got long O's, so forgive me if you hear me like tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. (laughs) Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough 
trouble of its own. Jesus says, I want you to live in the moment and I want you to seek the kingdom. I'll say again, dream big, God is bigger. So Jesus says, okay, don't worry. It's kind of this great man. Okay, Jesus, thank you for that, telling me not to worry. Thank you. That's so easy because you're the son of God and all. You know, Jesus, thank you for telling us this great thing that is pretty obvious. I wish I didn't worry about my food, but my stomach hurts. I wish I didn't worry about my drink, but I'm thirsty. I wish I didn't worry about my clothes because everybody else looks pretty good on their Instagram account. I wish I didn't worry about all these things. How do I do that? Jesus tells us how at the beginning of Matthew 6. It's interesting. So Jesus actually says this in Matthew 6. If you go right before that passage in, in 25, you'll see that Jesus talks about that the secret to not worrying is where you're investing your treasure. And so tonight, what I want to tell you is that if you want to have a new faith this year, then you need to have a new focus on investing your life in things that matter. And that's why it's so great you're here. Because listen, there's a lot of places you could be, man. You could spend time doing a lot of things, but I'm telling you, you will never regret what you invest in God. So man, if you can volunteer at Vertical, get involved. If you want to volunteer at the other ministry, get involved. Start a prayer group. Lead a small group. Go share your faith on campus. Plan a massive outreach event. Let's fill this stadium. I don't know what it is that God wants you to do, but all I know is that God is calling you to dream big because he is bigger and he wants to take you outside of what is comfortable into the place where you need him. Jesus says it's about treasure. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Jesus essentially says in this passage that if our treasure is in heaven, then we will not worry the same way as everybody else because we're investing in something eternal. And at the beginning of Matthew 6, Jesus gives us three ways of how to invest in heaven. He says we can do it by giving, we can do it by praying, and we can do it by fasting. So I'm just going to give you these three disciplines that you can take one of them, take all of them, but these are from Jesus, so they're probably good. Jesus says this. These are the three things. He says, be careful not to do acts of righteousness, beginning of chapter 6, before men. He says, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward. So when you give to the needy, do not announce with trumpets or do it in the synagogues to be honored by men. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There's a couple things that are very common in this first kind of stanza here. Jesus says over and over again, when you, when you, when you. There is no if you's. It's not if you give, if you pray, if you fast. It's all when you, when you, when you, when you, when you. As in, Jesus is expecting us to do these things. And he's promising us that in doing these things, we are investing in a kingdom that is coming and we are receiving a faith in what is eternal and a freedom from the things that enslave so many people in our generation. See, it's a freedom to live for something that's bigger, something that's more meaningful. Jesus is saying, man, you want to live for something out of this world? Let me tell you how. I want you to give. I want you to give. I want you to give. He goes on, I don't want you just to give. He says, I want you to pray. So I say this, I say, give until you trust. Give until you trust. If you haven't felt it, you haven't given. Give until you trust. But Jesus says again, don't give to be seen. There's also something about who are you doing this for? Because you can do these things to be seen by men. 
Jesus says, if you give to be seen by men so that my name's on a building, or the people say, oh, yeah, Susie, she gave $50. Oh, Susie, good for you. She's like, you know, that's great that you gave it all, Susie. But you know what? You got your reward right there. I hope you enjoyed that little hand clap because that's all you're getting. But Jesus is saying, no, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. So when you give, don't give so others see it. Give so you think, God, this is for you. I'm going to sacrifice for this for you. And we've had students, we do these events, they've given, like literally emptied their bank accounts, $1,000 a student. One student sold his car. Said, I'm going to sell my car and give this money so that our campus can know Jesus. Like just crazy things. Students are like giving plasma for Jesus. You know, we'll tell people, man, what you're doing all these things to get the guy, to get the girl. Have you ever done those things for the sake of the gospel? I mean, we do it for selfish ends. Will we do it for him? Jesus says there's something about when we give for him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, pray. He says, when you pray. Say, pray. Say, pray. MC Hammer says, we got to pray just to make it today. It's a great song. But Jesus says, you got to pray. Prayer is the backbone of every movement of God. So I say, give until you trust. Pray until you hear. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. You need to pray. If I'm going to tell you what's the biggest secret I see on campuses and ministries and movements when change happens in a life, it's your prayer life. There's no man or woman greater than their prayer life. You will never go further than your prayer life with God. And specifically, Jesus would say, you'll never go further than your secret life with God. I don't care about your public life, your praise posture. You know, we all know the the good Christian posture. It's kind of like the the right stretch and squint of the face. If you're really spiritual, you shake your head. Sometimes there's a bob. Listen, I'm, you know, I do these things, and I know it can be real, but I also know that there's a lot of show. What God cares about is your heart. He cares about your heart. He wants you to get alone. Jesus says, when you pray, go to your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. For your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words, but they're wrong. You go into your room and pray and God will hear you. It's the greatest thing in the world. God wants to meet with us. Today, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, God wants to meet with you. If you start opening this book and getting together, everything can change. So give it till you trust, pray until you hear. Last one is fasting. This is the tough one. Fasting, really, Jesus? You want me not to eat. You know I'm in college. It's one of our favorite things to do. Jesus, when you fast, when you fast, when you fast, when you fast. I say, give until you trust, pray until you hear, fast until you taste. For the last couple of years, God has uh, called me and our team to do like long seasons of fasting. And so like, and I don't say this for any reason other than to challenge you. But like for me, like my relationship with God radically changed. When I started to incorporate these disciplines into my life, not to show anybody anything, but just because I'm like, God, I want you. And Jesus says, these are three ways that we can go after God and get his heart and get our heart recharged. And not live this safe, pansy life, but start to get outside the boat and say, God, we want to see that you can do anything. Now, here we are, students up in North Dakota, and we're praying, and we're fasting. Crying out to God. You know, before the Indians started, we had like one prayer group, like four people would come. And it was like really hard to get people to pray. So, come on, we're going to pray. People, I don't want to pray. 
talk in front of people to God. I'm not one of those religious people. Oh, Father God. Just religious prayer voice. So you have all these these thoughts of what prayer is. It's like, no, we just want to gather as ordinary people and just talk to God about how messed up things are and ask him to help us. And to pray that he'd change us. We started reading actually a book, a chapter from the book of Acts and then just praying. We're like, we don't want to talk at all. We're going to read this chapter and then we're going to pray. And we're going to spend an hour doing it every week. So you start doing this. You said, man, God's moving. He wants us to go after the campus. We started to pray. We said, man, let's have a certain prayer group on Monday. The Monday one got full. We said, it's Tuesday. Tuesday got full. Wednesday, full. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We want a prayer group every day. Every day, prayer people are praying. Okay, well, now we need one every morning and every night. So now students are praying every morning and every night. Prayer groups are just popping. Just kids are praying. And now it became, man, which prayer group are you a part of? When are you praying? And you know the typical question, I would, but none of those times work for me. This is, I would, but, I would, but. And we say, okay, what time does work for you? And like, look at this, none of these times. The only time I have open is at 2 o'clock on Thursdays. Look, that's amazing. A prayer group just started, 2 o'clock on Thursdays. And you are invited, my friend. You know? And then we'd figure out how to start it. But we started 20 prayer groups. And then we started 24-7 prayer. And we're like, God, we need you on this campus. And students started to give. They started to give for the sake of reaching our campus. We looked and we saw the biggest venue on our campus. We saw there's parties and all this junk going on. We're like, we want to take the campus. We want Jesus at the center of campus. We need to go after this. And so students gave from their pockets $33,000. Students, this isn't going to mommy and daddy. You know, this is students giving. And just saying, we need to see this campus come to know Jesus. We started fasting. And God moved, guys. It was incredible. We had 1,200 kids. I'm a college kid. We had 1,200 kids come to Jesus my junior year of college. Just kids just coming to Christ. Our campus just turning to Jesus, just turning from sin. I'm just telling you, God wants you to dream bigger. He can use you to do anything. Impossible should not be in the dictionary of a believer. It should not be there. Because nothing is impossible with God. And God's either with you or he's not. I'm going to close with this question, just a simple question, just as it pertains to a reset of faith. I want you to think about this for a second. I just want you to think about the faith you're living right now. Does it more resemble the disciples after Jesus had died and was in the ground? I want you to think about what the disciples looked like then. Did they believe in Jesus? Yes. But they were afraid and they were hiding and they were questioning everything. Does your faith look more like that? Or does your faith look more like the disciples after Jesus rose from the grave? Because there is a marked difference between those two. The disciples after Jesus rose were full of power, were full of boldness, were full of purpose, and they were going for it. Now, I don't know about you, but I have spent so much of my life sitting in cruise control, being a Sunday Christian, playing it safe, being afraid, not stepping outside of anything that's comfortable for me. And I just believe this, that God is calling our generation to go. He's calling you to get outside what is normal, to get outside what is comfortable, to dream big because he is bigger, and to believe that he can do anything even through you. And I want you to look at this crazy kid from North Dakota and say, man, God can even use people in North Dakota. 
So I'm telling you, he can use anybody from anywhere to do anything because he's God. And so as we start this new semester, and as we go after vertical, and as we pray that God's kingdom would come at Baylor as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray that way, I just wonder if we together tonight could just make a commitment to say, you know what, let's go after this together. Let's not just play games. Let's go after this. You see, it's not about me giving you a charge. It's about the person next to you standing with you. It's about your dorm mate. It's about your roommate. It's about your classmate. It's about people saying, hey, how's it going? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's pray. Let's go for it. Man, what's God doing? Let's have expectation. Let's wage war with familiarity. Let's wage war with what's comfortable. Man, you know what? I know there's great things on campus, whether you're in a fraternity or whether you're in a sorority or whether you got in or you didn't get in. But listen, I'm just telling you, there is a kingdom that's coming. And there are people that need Jesus right around us. But before God reaches any of them, he needs to reach right here into us. The greatest person that needs change in this room is the person you look at in the mirror every day. That's the one that God cares about. As you bow your heads right now, we're just going to pray before a holy God. And we're going to get out of here with another song of worship, just a declaration. But, but I just want to give us this chance. And I don't, man, I'm not just trying to be some token thing or some cheap thing. But I sincerely believe that there are times that it, it matters. Like a physical response matters. I think that putting feet to our faith matters. And you don't even have to tell me why, but maybe you're here tonight and you're just saying, you know what, I want to take a stand as we start into this new semester. And I just want to be clear before God and before others that I just want to be surrendered to Jesus. I don't want you to do this lightly, but I just want you to, man, if that's you and you're just feeling compelled right now, I just want you to stand because I just want to pray over you. If that's that's not you tonight, don't fake anything. But if you're here tonight, you're like, you know what, I just feel like God's calling me to go after this. And it's something beyond myself. And in standing, you're just kind of symbolically saying, God, I just want you to see what's going on inside of me. I'm not perfect, but God, I'm here standing for you. And if that's you, I just want you to stand up where you are right now. And we're just going to stand. We're just going to have a moment of prayer in this moment. In this moment. Maybe God's calling you to step into a position of leadership that you feel scared about. I want you to stand. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to share your faith with somebody. Maybe you just feel like it's a new commitment for you of getting after God. And you don't want to go it alone. You don't want to play these games anymore. And let's just, let's just grab onto this moment right now. I want you to reach out. Let's grab hands of the people around us whether sitting or standing, we're just here as a family tonight just saying, God, we want to go after you. We want to be a generation, God, that seeks your face. As it says in Psalm 24, God, we want to be that kind of generation. And so, God, we just pray together right now. God, we pray that you would seal our hearts and our minds. God, as we fix them on Jesus, as we fix them on the cross, as we fix them on the one who conquered sin and death and the grave, God, we're not here as perfect people, but God, we're here as imperfect people looking to the only perfect one. God, believing that you are faithful to do what you promised to do. 
And so, God, we're asking, God, we know you can use anyone. We know you use donkeys. God, we know you use people from anywhere. So, God, we're just asking you tonight, would you use us? God, would you change us? Would you stir in us, God? Would you not let us stay the same? God, we don't want comfort. We don't want familiarity. God, we want to go after you, Jesus. God, we want to follow you, Lord, and we want to see you move, God. Lord, we want to look back at these days while we were at college and say, God, those were days when I was surrendered to Jesus and God was using me to see lives changed and God was just doing things that we never imagined. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would do beyond, God, what we can ask, God. Do beyond, Lord, what we're even thinking or expecting right now, God. Just blow us away, Lord. God, we just commit to you tonight, Lord. We are in. We surrender to you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.